second reading comes from Titus, chapter 1, reading verses 1 to 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at his appointed season, is brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. Good morning. My name's Rick. It's great that you can be with us either here in the room or at home. I'd love to add my welcome to Jeff's. Please, uh, if you have a Bible with you, please keep it open at that passage in Titus that we just read, or you can pull it up on a phone if you have one. Uh, if you're at home, take a moment to, to grab your Bible and get it to the right page, and I'll do the same. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we would be people who know you and trust you in all of our lives. We pray that everything that we do this morning and particularly everything that we hear this morning will lead us in that direction. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Whether we realise it or not, we trust people every day, or at least we're expected to. Just this morning when I was driving across the bridge from North Richmond to Richmond, I was trusting that the engineers who built that bridge knew what they were doing and that they weren't playing a sick joke on us. When I had my breakfast this morning, I trusted that the people who wrote the use-by date on the milk, that they got that right. I'm trusting right now that the tech guys at the back have the camera turned on and that the sound is not muted so that there are actually people at home who can listen along. I'm getting a thumbs up now, that's good to see. If someone says to me, I'll meet you at midday, and I arrange my day around that, then I'm trusting that what they're telling me is true. A little bit more significantly, when Helena and I got married, I trusted the promises that she made to me and before God and the people who were there. We trust people every day, sometimes in big things, sometimes in little things. Some people are trustworthy, some people are not. But trusting others is a normal part of everyday life. And the reason that I mention this is because I want us to, to realise and to recognise that we are more familiar with the idea of faith and of trusting others than perhaps we might realise. And that what God wants from us is actually wonderfully simple and at the same time remarkably significant. Put simply, God has made a promise and he wants us to trust him. That's what he wants from us. And so the question that we're going to be left with today is this. Are you trusting the promise of God? Are you trusting the promise of God? As Jeff said, we're starting a new series today in this short book of Titus. And Titus is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his protege, Titus. And as Paul starts his letter, he does so by, beginning, by telling Titus and us about his mission as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
And the overarching thing that I want us to notice is that Paul's job, his mission, involves a promise from God. It involves a promise from God. These, these four verses are actually one long sentence. And he gets to the point of his, of his sentence right in the middle in verse 2. The eternal promise of God that he mentions there is really the, the centre that everything else in this one long sentence revolves around. Let me read the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of God, sorry, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Paul's mission as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ involves a promise from God. And as we see Paul talking about his apostolic mission here, there are four things that I want us to notice. And these are the four points we're going to be seeing on the way through. Firstly, God wants us to trust him. Secondly, trust comes from knowing the truth. Thirdly, God's promise is about the good news of eternal life. And finally, it must lead to godliness. So firstly, our first point, God wants us to trust him. Let me ask you a question. When, what, what are you meant to do with a promise? When someone makes a promise to you, what do they want you to do with that? Yeah, he's meant to keep his promise, they're meant to keep his promise, but that person wants you to trust their promise, right? Or more importantly, they want you to trust them. They want you to trust that they will keep what they've said. Promise and trust belong together. Incidentally, this is why trust is so important in a marriage, because marriage is a very public and legal promise. We call it a covenant promise promise. And because a promise is so fundamental to the essence of marriage, it relies on trust. You can't have a good marriage without trust. Without it, it undermines the very essence of what the marriage is. A good marriage relies on trust because it's a promise. And that's what God wants from us, our trust. And that's what it's getting at in verse 1, where it says that Paul's mission is to further the faith of God's elect. Faith simply means trusting someone. In this case, trusting God. God wants his people to trust him. And it's always been that way, right? I mean, think of Adam and Eve. That's what God wanted from them. He wanted them to trust him, and they didn't. It's what God wanted from Abraham. He wanted him to trust him, and he did. It's got what God wanted from the nation of Israel after he'd rescued them out of slavery in Egypt and they were in the desert. He wanted them to trust him. And that's what he wants from us. Paul's mission was for that purpose, to further the faith, the trust of God's elect. And this takes us to our second point. He does that through the knowledge of the truth. What we trust about God is the truth and our trust is is built on our knowledge of the truth. Trust comes from knowing. Again, in verse 1, the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. 
And so what I want us to notice here is that faith and knowledge and truth go together. They go hand in hand. They're not in competition with each other, as if there's knowledge over here and there's faith over here and you've got to choose. Am I going to be someone of knowledge or am I going to be someone of faith because they don't belong together? We've been sold this definition of faith, I think, that says that faith and knowledge are kind of opposites. You know, we we say, well, I can't really know, so I'll just have to take it by faith. You know that kind of expression? And maybe that's what faith means for some people, but that couldn't be further from what the Bible means when it talks about faith and when God asks faith of us. Faith comes from knowing the truth. They go hand in hand. And when you think about it, we know that, right? I mean, it's hard to trust someone if you don't know them. Would you trust a stranger? Someone comes up to you in the street, you don't know them, and they ask you to trust them in something significant. Would you trust a stranger? It's hard to trust someone if you don't know them. Trust comes from knowing. And even more so, it's impossible to trust someone if what you know about them is simply not true. It's impossible to trust a liar. That's foolish faith. We trust God because we know the truth about him. And you see what this means for us if we want to grow in our faith, if we want to grow in our trust in God. If you want to grow in your faith, then devote yourself to knowing God better, to knowing the truth about God more, not just the God of my imagination, God as I want him to be, but God as he is. And as he has revealed himself to us in the Bible, how can you trust God if you don't really know him? If you don't really know what he's like, if you don't really know his character. And I often find, and maybe you do too, I hope you do too, that what I learn about God as I read the Bible, it challenges my distrust. It challenges my lack of faith because I'm confronted with what God is really like. I'm confronted with the trustworthiness of God. Just recently, I was um, worrying about something. And then I found myself reading that bit in the Bible where Jesus talks about the sparrows. You know what he says about the sparrows? You know, that they're basically worth nothing, and yet God provides everything that they need. And Jesus says, you are worth so much more to God than a sparrow. And it reminded me, yes, that's a, that's a God I can trust because that is what he's like. Now, that's just a small example. But the point is that our trust in God will grow the better we know the truth about him, the better we know him. And on the other hand, we, we really shouldn't expect to grow in our faith if we are not devoted to knowing God and to getting to know him better. God wants us to trust him, and trust comes from knowing the truth about him. Now we get to our third point, and to the promise itself. That is, God's promise is about the good news of eternal life, and it's revealed in the preaching of the gospel. Look at verse 2. As I said, this is one long sentence, so it's not a great place to start halfway through the sentence, but let me read from the beginning of verse 2 and into verse 3. It says, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, 
promised before the beginning of time and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our Saviour. This is what God's promise is about, the good news of eternal life. And that promise comes to us through the preaching of the gospel, through the message of the gospel. And ultimately, this is how we know what God is really like. This is how we know that God is trustworthy because he has delivered on his promises in this most ultimate way. For thousands of years, God had been promising that he would fix the problem of sin and death and judgment that we have brought on ourselves because we try to live without our creator. We want to be independent and self-governing, not realising that our every breath of life comes from God, that one that we want to be independent from. And God promised that he would not let us live like that. But he also promised that he would rescue us from our own foolishness. And in Jesus, he has now delivered on that promise. Jesus died to take the penalty that we deserve. And God raised him to life as the ruler of a new humanity who will live with God forever. The age of eternal life has begun. It began with Jesus 2,000 years ago and he invites us to join him. God has done everything that is needed to secure this eternal life that he has promised. He has delivered on that promise and now he asks us to trust him that he will keep that promise to the end. And I just want to take a moment to point out something that, well, is entirely obvious, but I think that we can tend to forget and that so we need to dwell on, and it's this. The goal of our faith, the goal of our trust in God, is eternal life and not life here and now. Yes, there are many benefits from living God's way now, but this life, the here and now, is not the goal of our faith. In fact, Jesus promises in this life you'll have many troubles. The Christian life will involve hardship and requires perseverance. Our trust in God is about hope for the future, eternal life. And hope here doesn't mean uncertain, it simply means un fulfilled, anticipated, something that we don't have yet. We're looking forward to it. Our hope and the goal of our faith is eternal life. And this is important to say because I think there has been a trend in our generation in particular to shift the focus of spiritual things to the here and now. You know what I mean? We often talk about spiritual these days to talk about how I'm feeling in myself, my sense of peace and well-being, and that becomes the goal of my spiritual life. I want something that makes a difference for me now. And there is a real temptation, I think, for Christians, and particularly, I guess, for Christian preachers, to present the message of Jesus and even to, to reshape the message of Jesus in terms of its benefits for life now. And of course, there are real benefits for life now. Following Jesus does make a real difference for this life. 
And we're going to hear about that as we continue through the book of Titus. But that real and positive difference for this life now is not what our hope is in. The goal of our hope is not a happy and contented and easy life now. And once we start thinking that way and speaking that way, we are going to end up distorting the message and losing sight of what God has actually promised that eternal life that we should be looking forward to. The goal of our hope is eternal life. That's what God has promised us, the free and generous gift through Jesus. And throughout this letter, Paul goes on to emphasise just how important it is that we hold on to this message. Even in Paul's day, there was a risk for churches and for individuals to shift the focus of what they were on about. And so, as we're going to see in coming weeks, a big part of this letter is about holding on to this key and central message of eternal life through faith in Jesus. And I'll make no apologies for repeating this and keeping coming back to it again and again and again, because this is the message that everyone needs to hear. This is how we receive God's promise of eternal life, And this is how we grow in our trust in God. Because this is where we truly know God. He has revealed himself ultimately and finally in his son Jesus and secured the promise of eternal life. This must always be the centre. And everything else we talk about comes from that. And this leads us to our final point, point four. God's promise of eternal life must lead to godliness. Again, in verse 1, the mission of the apostle was to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Trusting the promise of God must lead to godliness. Or to put it the other way around, it is impossible to put your trust in God to hear and to receive the good news of eternal life that God has promised and for it not to change you. That's impossible. The goal of our hope is eternal life, but that has a massive impact on how we live now. Think about it. What are we looking forward to? We are looking forward to a perfect eternal life with God. With God, the one who made us and who made our world and who tells us how to live best in this world that he has created. And when that day comes, we will live perfectly the way that God wants us to live. And if we're looking forward to that, how could we not want to start living that way now? How could we not want to get a taste of that heavenly life now? It reminds me of an illustration that a friend of mine makes. and This friend of mine, he loves chocolate cake. Now, don't get me wrong, I like chocolate cake, but my friend really loves chocolate cake. And you know when you, you, bake, you bake a chocolate cake and you put it in the oven, you've got to wait, like, what, an hour before you get a taste of that chocolatey goodness. So if you're looking forward to that time where you can taste the chocolatey goodness of that cake, what do you do while you're waiting? You lick the beaters, right? Because you want to get a taste of that now. You know how good that's going to be. So you want to get a taste of it now. If we are looking forward to the eternal life that God has promised, we should want to get a taste of it now. 
We should want to lick the beaters now. And that means living God's way now, as well as we will then. Living the godliness that he has saved us to live in eternal life. And in future weeks, we are going to talk about what that looks like now in the ways that we relate in our private behaviour, in the ways that we relate with each other and with the world around us. There can be no such thing as a Christian who is not changed by the message that we have. There can be no such thing as a Christian who is a complacent cultural Christian, one that doesn't change how I live. You know, where I think I've got Christian parents and grandparents, I prayed a prayer one time, I've got my ticket to heaven in my back pocket, that's my insurance policy, and so now I'll just carry on with life as I always have. No. It's impossible to hear and to receive this message of good news, of eternal life, to trust in God and for it not to change you. The grace of God must lead to eternal life. This is the mission of the Apostle as he writes his letter to Titus. He wants us to trust the eternal promise of God about the good news of eternal life in such a way that it does lead to godliness. And as I said, we're going to continue to look at these ideas as we continue through the letter of Titus in coming weeks. But for now, let's pray that we will hear and heed what God has said to us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do want to be people who trust you. And so we ask that you will help us to be people who are devoted to knowing you better. And in particular, who are devoted to knowing you as you have ultimately revealed yourself through your Son, who showed your love by dying on the cross, who showed your power by right when you raised him from the dead. Father, please help us to be devoted to knowing you in the gospel of your son, that we may trust you more. Father, may we hold on to that and by your spirit work in our hearts to transform us into the kind of people that you want us to be, the kind of people that we will be in all eternity, in that eternal life that we do look forward to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.